I've been thanking you for, um, for your help in uh, filling out the postcards that I've been asking for. And the unofficial results tallied um, by sermon uh, topic or by Bible book uh, tells me that you have a wide variety of interests. <laughs> it, uh, there were no, no fewer than 15 different Bible books that were listed and many more topics that, uh, that we could go, um, lots of different directions. But the, the only books that got more than one vote uh, were the book of Acts, Hebrews, and of all things, Judges, uh, which is interesting. But I'll bet you can guess which one got the most votes. That would be the Revelation. And when I turned the card over and saw all the things that you were, life issues, topics, questions about life or death, uh, well, it was death <laughs> that came up. Most, it was what happens after I die. It's, uh, is, is heaven boring? That, that was a real question. And it's a genuine question. Um, and so... The assumption is that Revelation has a lot to say about what happens after we die, and it does, but so does a lot of the other old parts of the New Testament. Besides, um, the, the entire Bible speaks to the state of a person, both living and dead and resurrected. So uh, starting September 15th, I'm going to start a sermon series. I'm just called Heaven and Hell, and it, uh, it should take us through to about Thanksgiving. And it's, it's a study, uh, it's, a, it's a, a bunch of different questions that people have that I think are, are valid questions, uh, questions that um, keep people up at night, frankly. Or they're just curious, what, what is this about hell? Is it real? Is heaven, what is heaven like? What is it like after a person uh, dies? And so there's, there's all kinds of things the Bible has to say about that, and I would appreciate your prayers, and even the invite to have someone come with you because the day that I begin that sermon series is what um, we've uh, adopted as uh, Back to Church Sunday. Back to Church Sunday is a nationwide uh, initiative. Uh, when we were at Galesburg, we did this a couple of times, and it really is just an excuse to get people to come back to church. It really is just pretty self-explanatory. After the summer, after all the traveling, after all the sports, after all the vacation, we are getting back into a routine. We are getting back to church. And so really, it, it's just an opportunity to invite someone that you know. Maybe they used to go here. Maybe they have, maybe they did, and um, they you know, haven't seen them for a while. And you're like, hey, I haven't seen you for a while. It's, how about you come back? You know, we got this new guy. He seems to be okay. He's going to be talking about heaven. And see what he has to say. Um, that's my invitation to you to have an invitation to others. But for now, I'm going to... Uh, work at finishing up this series on new life. New, all things new. Today is about new life. The Bible, I, I had about a dozen scriptures here that just talk about new life, but for the sake of time, I'm not sure that I can get there. If you want them, come talk to me. I'll give them all to you. But the Bible is absolutely full about talk, about life, and about death. And as, as in the Heaven and Hell series, it, it gets really into the particulars, and you can, you can see an awful lot of life and death in the Bible. But then there's talking about new life. If God makes all things new, and he gives new life, then the question make, it makes me wonder, was there an old life? If there is a new life, was there death involved? 
What kind of life is he talking about anyway? I mean, what form does death take? Is it physical? Is it spiritual? Is it both? If Jesus came to give us life and life abundantly, what's wrong with my old life? I I found that question to be a valid one from people who don't know Jesus. What are you trying to give me that I don't already have? Are there living, breathing people out there that are dead and they don't know it? Do they have all the symptoms of being alive, you know, pulse rate and breathing, but really because they're united with sin, they're one flesh with sin, they're dead. Even though they're physically alive. Is this why Jesus offers life? I think so. And of all the places that I could have gone this morning, scripture-wise, I landed on Romans 5. So if you've got your Bible, if you've got your device, you can open that up to Romans 5. And I'm going to start in verse 11. Romans 5, right there in the middle of verse 11, We rejoice in God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we now have received reconciliation. If there's reconciliation, there must have been a separation, and here's why. Verse 12, Therefore, just as sin entered the world through one man, and death through sin, in this way, death came to all, because all have sinned. Verse 14, Nevertheless, death reigned from the time of Adam to the time of Moses, even over those who did not sin by breaking a command, as did Adam. So sin, if you were to ask anybody on the street, what is sin? Define sin. Most of the time, I think we would, th- we would say, well, sin is doing something wrong. Or even more specifically, breaking some law of God. Breaking one of God's rules. And that's certainly true. Sin is an act which takes us away from what God wants and into what we want. But more than that, sin takes us away from union with God. He talks about Adam here. And Adam was one with God. There was no separation between God and Adam and Eve. They walked together in the garden. How cool would that have been? But as soon as sin entered the world, separation took place and death entered. When they ingested the fruit, and I love the work that Shane Wood has done on this, it's one, it is union. It is all about union. Because when Adam and Eve ingested the fruit, and it became one with them. Like when you drink a cup of coffee, you take a sip of coffee, you are, that is, you are one with coffee, and it is one with you. Amen? Okay? You can't separate those two anymore without doing damage to both. When they ingested the fruit, it became one with them, and they stopped being one with the Father. The union with the Father was broken, and union with death took place. Adam's sin brings condemnation for everyone, for all sin. But Christ's one act of righteousness brings right relationship with God and new life for everyone. Keep going in Romans 5 to verse 17. For if by the trespass of the one man, Adam, death reigned through that one man, how much more will those who receive God's abundant provision of grace and the gift of righteousness reign in life through the one man, Jesus Christ. 
Put more simply, in the New Living Translation, it reads like this. Because one person disobeyed God, many became sinners. But because one other person obeyed God, that is Jesus, many will be made righteous. It's been said that we all have a sin problem and that Jesus died to forgive us our sins. And that's absolutely true. But it could also be said, as Paul says in Ephesians 2, verse 1, that we were dead in our sins, in which we used to live. Did you notice how that was phrased? We were dead in our sins in which we used to live. It, wasn't, it didn't say that we're dead in our sins that we used to commit, or that we're dead in the sins, the wrong things we used to do. It equates sin with a place where we are, a condition that we are inexorably inside of. We are united with sin and death apart from God. But Ephesians goes on, Paul says in Ephesians 2 verse 4, because of God's great love for us, God who was rich in mercy, he made us alive in Christ. Even when we were dead in transgressions, it is by grace you have been saved. And what's the result of receiving this grace and salvation? Verse 6, And God raised us up with Christ and seated us in the heavenly realms in Christ Jesus. Let me, let me read that again. We've been saved by grace. And as a result, God raised us up with Christ and seated us with him in the heavenly realms in Christ Jesus. Anybody notice anything weird about any English teachers in here? The verb tense of those? Did you notice it didn't say he will seat us in the heavenly realms? It didn't say he will raise us up. We've already been raised. We've already been seated in the heavenly realms in Christ. It's past tense. It already happened. When we receive that grace and forgiveness and salvation, it is done. Anybody feel like they've been sitting in heaven with Jesus lately? Don't you know that your citizenship is in heaven? Not will be. It is. You are, if you are in Christ, you are now citizens of heaven. Your eternal life begins now. And don't you know that if you're not in Christ, if you haven't passed from death to life because of the gift of forgiveness, that you are still in your sins and you're still united with death, you're still separated from the God who made you. You see, there's a gross misunderstanding, I think, about how God sees the world. Most people will gauge their status with God based on their behavior. Am I a good person? Am I a bad person? Am I somewhere in between? I'm mostly good, but I got bad days. They'll gauge their relationship with God based on their behavior. But those are outward signs of an inward condition. God is critically concerned about whether you're alive or you're dead right now. Maybe you thought you were a bad person that needed to behave. And maybe that's true. But God says, if you're not in Christ, you're a dead person that needs resurrection. If you haven't received resurrection, you're still dead in your sins.
apart from him. The whole arc of the Bible bends toward God giving life and abolishing death from the first breath that filled Adam's lungs to the last breath that Jesus breathed on the cross, God's plan was to offer life to us by Christ's death and burial and resurrection. And Romans 6 is clear on how this plays out. Romans 6, verse 3. Or don't you know that all of us who were baptized into Christ Jesus were baptized into his death. We were therefore buried with him through baptism into death in order that just as Christ was raised from the dead through the glory of the Father, we too may live a new life. And if we've been united with him like this in his death, we will certainly be united with him in his resurrection. Repentance And baptism marked the end of a life ruled by the power and condemnation of sin. It is every bit of death to the old self. You go down into that water, it is a burial. It is a significant, substantive death to sin. And an old life, and you're raised, resurrected, new, filled with the Spirit. I think some people struggle with knowing whether or not they're forgiven. I relate, but I believe that most of the time it's just the devil throwing doubt. It's the accuser passing condemnation. It's not the spirit's conviction. It's the accuser's condemnation, that we're listening to the wrong voices. But I believe there are a few things we can evaluate. Scriptures, especially John seems to give several places where we can evaluate the results of a person who has new life or doesn't. A life that's been forgiven. And it's a simple question. How well do you love people? How well do you love people? This is pretty straightforward. I mean, 1 John chapter 3, verse 14. If we love our brothers and sisters who are believers, it proves we have passed from death to life. That's pretty straightforward. John says a person who has no love is still dead. Anyone who hates a brother or sister in the Lord, this is what he's talking about, a fellow Christian. Anyone who hates a brother or sister is really a murderer in his heart. And you know that murderers don't have eternal life within them. You want to know if you've passed from death to life? How well do you love your brothers and sisters in the Lord? You have a hard time loving those in your church family Is it easier to pass judgment on them? If you have a hard time loving your church family, how will you be capable of showing love to a lost world? If you can't forgive those in the family of God in the church, don't pretend to offer Christ's forgiveness to those outside the faith. Let's work at cleaning house a little bit. So the invitation, I think, is to everybody here, all of us, including myself, that if, we're, if after this you're convinced that you are still united with death and you're still lost in your sins, you need to have Christ come in and give you new life, and we love to have a part of that in a conversation. Whether that's right here down front, whether that's in our prayer room, meet with one of our elders, have a conversation. But for those of us who have said yes to Christ, 
and have received forgiveness, how much darkness do we still carry around? What grudges do we nurse? What people do we need to forgive? Are there people within the church we have a hard time loving? So during this invitation, I would encourage the Holy Spirit and pray that you would listen however it needs to happen. And if you do need to talk to somebody, you're free to come forward. You're free to grab me afterwards. We can go and talk. Let's pray together. Father, no matter what kind of uh, life that we're, we're, we're living, how good we think we are, um, we are lost without your, without your life, without the gift of life that you have re, uh, so graciously extended to us through Christ. We are still one with death. And I rejoice that um, those of us who have, ex have accepted this gift of life, death has no hold on us. There's no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. And so I pray that you would uh, help bolster the confidence of some who are in Christ and still feel like they're not good enough for you because you have adopted them as your children. So God, please just deal with us in whichever way we need. In Jesus' name, amen.